Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to The Mentor. I'm Mark Boris. Have you heard of NFTs before? Well, an NFT It's a digital, non-fungible token, and it can't be replaced by anything else. Another thing you need to know about is Ethereum as a platform and also as a digital coin, a digital currency. And Ethereum is a decentralized, open-source blockchain with smart contract functionality. So smart contracts are really important here as well. Let's park those thoughts for a second, and let's maybe get back into something more traditional. Take Leonardo da Vinci's Mona Lisa, for example. There are millions of copies, but there is still only one original painting with an identifying IP and it's hanging up in the Louvre. Are you on the same page as me now? We are talking about unique digital tokens where only one exists and it is protected through smart contracts, smart functionality on Ethereum platforms in a digital world, not unlike Leonardo da Vinci's Mona Lisa that's sitting in the Louvre. Robbie Ferguson is my guest today. He is co-founder of a business called Immutable and is a blockchain-focused gaming startup. Robbie and his brother James have managed to secure $82 million in funding as investors become more interested in these NFTs. Now, so far what I've explained, or I try to explain, quite frankly, is mind-bending. You know, like you're going to need Robbie, we need Robbie to come on and tell us how NFTs fit into Immutable and how Immutable then allows you to play with NFTs, buy, sell, create. Stick with me on this one because you can't afford to fall behind with this stuff. This is a brand new world where lots of money is being exchanged, lots of money is being made, and lots of new things are being created. So let's get into it. Robbie Ferguson, welcome to The Mentor, mate. Thank you, Mark. Good to be here. Now, you're pretty young. I can tell you're pretty young Um, because this is not for the faint-hearted. This this story is not for the faint-hearted. This platform is not for the faint-hearted. It's new. It's it's not novel to you, but it's new. It's a new territory. So I want to go through it slowly, but I want to go through it well. Um, I I also, I I know that you're in partnership with your brother James, your older brother James. Um, you're the spokesperson today. Normally what I do is I get someone to tell me about their life story, but you're so young. <laughs> There's not much of a life story to give me. So we're going to get straight into it. Other than um, you're a uh, science law graduate, Sydney University. Not a graduate, actually. Drop out. Drop out. So you, you were doing science law at Sydney? Yeah, that's right. And then I actually started the company after two years. So you're at uni for two years and you decided, fuck this, I'm going uh, to go into business. Kind of. Um, I actually made the company over a summer break. And so I had kind of 
risk mitigated and and decided to drop out once it had already we'd actually already by that point um, made our first million dollars in revenue over that summer. Um, so it was a bit different just to purely dropping out. So you know, in the summer break at university, you're probably like 19 or 20 or something like that, and uh, you've told me you tell me that you 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 generate a million dollars in earnings um, over summer break, which is pretty incredible. So what was Fuel doing? Tell me, what, what the hell were you doing? And, and what inspired you to do it, by the way? Of course, yeah. So, I mean, I, I might start with a little bit of a backstory, which is uh, James and I, my co-founder and brother, have been doing startups for quite a while. So, you know, we at one point had Australia's largest hoverboard company. Uh, we created a, a Shopify competitor called ShopYak, which allowed you to automatically A-B optimize your stores based on copy and pricing created a platform where you could bet on your own League of Legends games called Rivaler. So we loved building things. Um, and we got into crypto pretty early as well. So we got into Bitcoin in 2014 and Ethereum in 2015. And when we saw Ethereum, we knew it would change the world. We weren't sure how yet. And we actually had in 2015 a thesis and a complete white paper written for the distributed autonomous bank, very similar to a DeFi app called Compound now, which is one of the major DeFi apps of today. But we got a lot of legal cold feet uh, because we thought it was a complete minefield regular, from a regulatory perspective. And so it was a couple of years later that we saw NFTs first come out with CryptoPunks, uh, which came out mid-2017. Let me stop you. Just, just, just when you say NFTs, okay, just, just, just take it a little bit slowly. Yeah. Why don't you explain um, what an NFT is? Yeah, of course. So an NFT is a unique digital asset stored on a blockchain. So in the same way a Bitcoin or an Ethereum or a Ripple token are all guaranteed by the blockchain to have finite scarcity and true digital ownership, you might call it, which is secured by your private key rather than stored on your behalf by a bank or by a government. You can now do that for unique digital assets. Uh, and that's just in the form of what we call an NFT or a non-fungible token. And what sort of unique digital assets might you be talking about? Like, give me an example of one of these assets. It's a fa fantastic question. So there's actually a lot of verticals where it could touch. I mean, literally, you could represent any unique object in the world is how I like to describe it. So if Bitcoin and Ethereum and the fungible cryptocurrencies are just able to represent the money of the world, NFTs are literally able to represent any unique financial asset uh, or any asset at all, sorry which is far more than fungible assets. Like there's way more stuff in the world than there is you know, financial uh, currencies. Uh, and so the examples we've seen really become popular over this year have one been collectibles or art. So we saw the $69 million people sold. Uh, we've seen billions in dollars of uh, volume for secondary trades on art this year alone. Um, and there's lots of subcategories to that. User-generated content, uh, collectibles, like Beeple, like that, that was sort of like, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's sort of art. I mean, it's, it's printed art, but explain yeah. what that was, that, that, piece, that piece of art that was, that is an NFT, but that was recently traded. Yeah. So the example I use is imagine I have two copies of the Mona Lisa. One's the original and one is a perfect copy by a master forger. And you can't tell the difference between the two, except you know this is the original. This one's worth whatever, maybe 10 grand, 100 grand, 500 grand if you want to pay that much for a forgery. This one's priceless, worth you know, tens or hundreds of billions of dollars. And the only reason this is is because it's the original. Now, we can take that concept and apply that 
to a digital object. So sure, the the image of the people, which is the the bull run uh, photo, you've, you've probably seen it. You can download that, and it yep. will cost you nothing to download it. You can print it out. You can send it to your friends, but you can also order a forgery of the Mona Lisa. You can print out the Mona Lisa. You can take a photo of it. You can send it to your friends. What is unique is you can prove that only one digital original ever exists. And in this instance, they had a, a one of one and they had a you know, limited series of, say, 100. And all that is, it's just the digital originals in the same way that you know these ones were the ones painted by Leonardo da Vinci. And it's actually a much stronger enforcement of that property than in the real world because we can only guess if something's original based on the best science we have available to us, but we can know provably via cryptography that this is the original digital asset no matter where it trades. And that's by virtue of um, the way blockchain guarantees the ownership of all the parts making up the whole. That's right. And and in particular, so an NFT is a type of uh, data structure effectively on a blockchain. It's sort of curious to me because I can go and get a, a copy of a precise digital copy of that particular image that you're talking about like it's better than any copy of the Mona Lisa that someone might paint okay um you know you can have the world's best forger but this will be what I could get off the internet or through digital means is a precise copy of that bull run that you're talking about that 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 image so that and therefore what we're not protecting is the precision of the copy what we are what is being sold here, what is valuable here is the actual ownership of the actual, I can't explain it. Help me out here because it's hard to explain. Like uh, why is it so valuable? Like, wh- It's not the copy that we're talking about here. It's it's not the image. It's actually the, what sits below the image. Status and, status and provenance. Yeah, it's, it's, it's exactly, you're right. It's, it's kind of like the IP of um, what the artist decides is this is the original. And a, a good example is imagine we all had perfect copy machines in our home that could copy a physical thing. And we all decided to press a button and it could copy the Mona Lisa in the Louvre and atom for atom in our homes. And there's suddenly 6 billion copies around the world. All of these are worthless. And that original is probably even more valuable now because of the distribution of the IP of that art. That's the exact same thing as, as this digital item. But that's just art. So that's just the art application of NFTs. Very interesting. So why don't you explain to me some other forms of where non-art, where this might be very valuable. For example, Jack Dorsey's original tweet. Well, like, how does that work? I mean, how the hell would someone pay so much money for that? Like, Explain it to me. Look, I think the tweet actually comes under the same category as art, which is ultimately you're paying to own some digital concept or image or IP for the status. Um, and that's how I'd kind of categorize it. But NFTs are a lot more than that. And actually our thesis as a company is that NFTs are going to come to represent pretty much every form of digital object that people own. And I think that people are going to own a lot of digital stuff in the future. I think that kids are going to grow up in a few decades completely in virtual reality, um, or at least spending the vast majority of their time in them, um, or in some form of augmented reality where the world is overlaid with a metaverse, a digital metaverse. And so what's important is the ability to own things in that. And the other examples I'd give is you then have utility-based objects. So objects you buy not for purely art or the appreciation in value you might expect, but to actually be able to use that. 
And the best example I can give here is one of our core use cases, which is items inside of video games. So uh, you've probably heard of Fortnite or League of Legends. And yep. these yep. are both games with hundreds of millions of players. And they only monetize by selling you content inside the game. And this content in the vast yep. majority of the time doesn't even impact gameplay. It won't make you better. It won't make you stronger. It won't make you have a better chance of winning. It just changes how you look. So in Fortnite, they sell skins. Um, and in League of Legends, they sell skins. And they also sell content that you could unlock by playing purely for free. And so... These assets are objects that you could turn into NFTs. So instead of, say, having it be a purely sunk cost, um, and by the way, there's $100 billion of this stuff sold every year, in-game items. Um, so it's ridiculous. And players own literally $0 of that. It's like me selling you a house, Mark, but you can never sell that house again. And so the only value you can extract from it is utility, the utility of your usage, but you can't, you don't have the option to sell it later on. And so what we're doing now is we're able to take this from a purely sunk cost to an asset that players can own. You could have a limited run of them, which is insane. This, like, this idea of digital scarcity is completely novel. We've never before been able to say we can limit ourselves to a thousand Fortnite skins in, in this instance. And, and when games companies say they do, um, or when a bank says they do, they're lying, or, or they could break it at any point in time because there's nothing binding them to that. Uh, but with NFTs, you can literally have it down to you know, the, the laws of the smart contract that write it on the blockchain. So, but who would be the issuer of um, these skins? For example, would that be uh, Fortnite or the people behind Fortnite? Who, who issues it? I mean, who decides? Um, what variations as to what they issue? So, in other words, I might issue this particular one, but I might make a small variation, a very small variation, and um, issue another one. Then, does that diminish yeah. the value of the first one? Yeah, you're you're right. So it would, and and this is why reputation is going to become quite important. Um, and you know, ultimately, you can do that with any asset in the world. Um, but you can always be able to tell. And, and say, say a, a company kept doing that repeatedly, the community would be able to, you know, even reject or, or devalue these new instances and be able to point to the old version and say, no, these are the ones we were promised. These are the ones that were valuable. But the point is, you can tell the difference. And you can't do that in a centralized database, which is how up until three years ago, every single form of, you know, digital object was stored. And uh, the vendor of the very first, let's call it image, because it sort of is an image because you don't actually get an outfit to wear <laughs> if we talk about something out of one of the games. Um, yeah. it, it's not something you yeah. actually put on at home. But, but we, are seeing, we are seeing links between that. Yeah. How do you mean? We're seeing uh, there's a, a studio called Artifact um, who's a pioneer in digital art yep. is, is what they're branding this. And um, they sell digital sneakers and the digital sneakers gets you the right, if you own the NFT, to redeem a physical version of the sneaker. And you could trade that token around and then whoever owns the token could redeem the digital sneaker. And we're also seeing the inverse where you buy something physical and it comes with it an NFT. And this is freaking cool because for the first time, like why do people buy Louis Vuitton bags? Why do people buy you know, Nike sneakers or anything with a the brand? They want to connect with the brand. They want to self-actualize and identify and be part of a community. And now you can literally give them in the form of an NFT as they make that purchase 
a digital representation of it that they can carry that social meaning and identity from the physical world to the digital world. So you buy a, a you know, a, a, a Nike pair of shoes at your um, local store, and then you go into Fortnite, and your character could be wearing those same shoes. Or you buy a Louis Vuitton bag, and in the Facebook metaverse that's being built, you can showcase that bag in there as well. So it's actually quite cool what you can do with this. I can see sportsmen actually um, um, building their own, you know, Nike shoes or Nike doing a joint venture with a sports person and those sports persons doing a digital version of their shoe. I can ask you, do they fraction, will these things become fractionalized as well? In other words, you know, yeah. I get the laces, someone else has got the boot and, uh, you know, someone else has got the, the original box it came from. Yeah, they already are. Oh, they're doing that fractionalization. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously with fractionalization, you have the classic problem of fractionalization, which is governance um, and custody. Uh, but the cool thing is, Smart contracts can solve both of these. So governance can be programmed into the asset itself. You could have uh, democracy. You can have any kind of consensus or governance mechanism you want over the underlying assets. Um, and then custody, well, you know, it, it doesn't really matter because you're like the asset lives digitally and all you're proving is that you own a certain percentage of it. It's still viewable. It's still shareable. Um, and when you fractionalize, you'd typically be doing it to trade likely because you're not getting the the value of owning the the item itself. I mean, this has uh, infinite applications for infinite types of um, creatives and around all sorts of so-called assets. They are assets. They're, they're tradable. They're valuable. So they're assets. Um, they don't actually have any revenue attached to them other than um, let's call it capital gain or capital loss, but there's no real revenue. So, you know, you're not getting a dividend out of it. But You could. There are there are NFTs with um, revenue streams embedded in them. You could, yeah, and and actually on our protocol, what we enable are royalties. So let's say you're an artist and you want to mint, a, you know, a piece of art, and you have no idea how much it's worth. You just want to float it into the market. You can guarantee a perpetual secondary royalty no matter where it trades, of whatever at whatever percent you send, and you could send that to whatever parties you want as well. Um, so if you're doing a big IP deal and you're doing a, a, you know, a brand of IP, you could say, well, to these three parties, we're going to stream perpetual royalties. Um, and this is the power of like crypto is that you have the ability to do everything in the regular finance world at a vastly reduced cost instantaneously, programmatically and guaranteed. Um, and, and <laughs> you can just do stuff in like a hundred X better manner. Let's uh, say the the asset has been created, um, has been traded. I bought it and it cost me $4 million. That doesn't necessarily mean that's the value, but that's what I paid for it anyway. Can I um, leverage that asset? Can I actually um, go and borrow against it? Can I put that up to someone and say, you know, obviously I can't go walk down to my bank and say, listen, here's my asset. It's worth $4 million. Would you lend me two or one? And what interest rate would you charge yeah. me? But are, are, there, are there lenders out there who will do that sort of stuff? Now you're getting into the cool stuff. So you, you must be familiar with this industry already because everything that's happening in the financial, like as we saw the wave of uh, you know, financial derivatives and, and financial services emerge in the real world, we're seeing the exact mirroring of that except at breakneck speed and with paradigms and functionalities we've never even thought about possible uh, on Ethereum and, and in DeFi. Um, and the, the best example I'd, I'd give you is, let's say you own a crypto punk. Right now, you could go to a smart contract, which would allow you to value that CryptoPunk, collateralize it, and borrow against it in, let's say, 
USDC, a stablecoin that basically represents a US dollar. And then with those US dollars, while still being exposed to the capital of the asset that you own, that CryptoPunk, you could go uh, borrow it in, against in compound and earn a yield of 4% per annum. Uh, or you could go you know, stake it in Uniswap and, and uh, earn a yield on that. So that's the powerful thing is that every single one of these assets, because they live in an environment which is completely composable and interoperable with all of these other Lego bricks building financial services, you can even compose all of these all together. So you uh, put it up for collateral, you borrow USD, you buy another NFT, you put that up for collateral, you form an index of that, you sell it in the same like all of these things can be composed. And actually, one of my favorite things uh, that is only possible in crypto is a, a risk-free loan, um, which kind of defeats the definition of a loan. But uh, because in crypto, all of the sort of uh, changes that occur in a state of a transaction can occur at the same time, and they all occur completely guaranteed, so like atomically. Like if one thing doesn't happen and the entire transaction go doesn't go through, you can do what's called a, a flash loan, which basically means I can borrow an absurd amount of money off you, say $500 million, um, and I can return it to you instantaneously with zero risk. And then I can go and perform all sorts of computing logic in between when I borrow it and, and when I give it back to you, and you probably earn like a, you know, a tiny, tiny fraction, like um, 50 grand or 20 grand off that, that sort of thing. Um, and in that logic, I can do crazy things. So I can then arbitrage and exploit an inefficiency in uh, a smart contract lending operation, or I can go um, and, you know, ex exploit price differences in, in two different prices of two different exchanges. Um, and this actually is really cool because it means that anyone can create price efficiency. You don't have to have capital to start with. And we've seen the most insane things happen in crypto with flash loans where people have even depressed the prices. They've been able to impact markets in the same second or like literally it's not even a unit of time. It's the same instance as they've been able to perform another transaction and make huge amounts of money with literally $100 in starting capital. Are you for real? Are you serious? That's, that's, that's mental. Um, like, I mean, I, you, you went a little bit too fast for me at, 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 the, at that point. That was, I just want to go back to, um, yeah, leveraging sorry, your asset. Yeah. Let's just be like, we'll go. I get excited about this stuff. Yeah. No, no, but I'm actually, I'd like to spend more time with you to understand it a bit more, more thoroughly, but in terms of leverage, who are the organizations that lend the money you just said in, um, uh, us crypto, um, who are the people who lend this money against the asset that's been you, you I may have bought an example I gave you before that I may have bought, you know, for yeah. example, the cyberpunk, this thing you just, the cyberpunk asset you just talked about. Yeah. But who is the lender and, and do they charge you interest? Yeah. So it's probably going to be a smart contract. And what is a smart contracts? Yeah. They're basically just, um, computer code uploaded onto a blockchain, which executes deterministically. Uh, so basically it always executes the way the code's written every time. You can't change that code and that code is immutable. So it lives on the blockchain. So basically what you can have is you can write a computer program and then anyone who interacts with it can have guarantees around, they know every single line of the code and what it's going to do. And you can imagine with this, anything is possible. So literally when I said I fell in love with Ethereum in 2015, the thing that made me realize how much it would change the world was a silly little DAP, they call it, decentralized application called Etherall. And it's a dice app, rolls a number from one to 100, and you can set the number you want it to roll above, and it gives you a probability reward. So let's say I you know, um, 
let, let's take head, heads or tails an example. I say, you know, it's going to be 50 or above. It'll double my money if it is, and it'll take my money if it's not. But the cool thing is it's completely guaranteed. I can see that they have enough to pay me out with. I know that the probability is completely decentralized. They can't fuck with it. And I know that the uh, guaranteed uh, fees being taken on it could even be decentralized. So rather than a, you know, a, a big sort of casino taking this fee, it could be given to the people who use the application. Every, every user who owns it gains a share in the application itself. And I thought, like, I'm not a gambler by any means. I was just trying out a dap. But I thought that is freaking cool that governments who spend tens of billions of dollars legislating, enforcing compliant payouts, regulating. I mean, slot machines are air gapped for Christ's sake. And I hate slot machines. So like, I'm not endorsing this stuff. It's just an example of what is possible with the immutable and interoperable logic of smart contracts. Um, the other way I like to explain smart contracts is they're just vending machines, which do stuff. So imagine you go up to a vending machine and you know you put in five bucks and you get a candy bar. Now you can have that vending machine interact with other vending machines, which are other smart contracts in the network. So I put in $5, this vending machine talks to this vending machine, it gives it $5 for it to perform another transaction, say it loans that $5 to that and gets back another token. And then this original vending machine gives this back to me. So any smart contract can interact with any other. They're all just code um, and perform really, really complex logic. So back to the original question, who's loaning you it? It's probably going to be a, like a loan smart contract uh, with some sort of configuration around, well, how do we value this NFT? It's probably going to be some market-based solution where people can say we value these NFTs at this price or um, you can have some form of collateral factor. Um, so... Yeah, that, that's essentially how it works. And the currency that the loan is made in is is a digital currency, obviously. But can you make a choice? Can I say, well, lend it to me in Bitcoin or something like that? I mean, what currency can you get it in? Or is it just, or is this all just on Ethereum? It's all on Ethereum, but there's thousands you could choose from because Ethereum is fundamentally different to Bitcoin. Ethereum is a platform. You could support, and there's thousands of cryptocurrencies supported on Ethereum. So there's Synthetic Bitcoin, there's synthetic US dollars, there's synthetic Australian dollars, there's you know literally anything you can think of. It seems to me that, um, you tell me this, is there a whole world of people doing this stuff, like you know, like what you're talking about, or, or you just, you and your brother out there, like a couple of propeller heads, like so smart and, um, and young and so into this, that you're trying to convince a world of people to follow you? Or is there a whole world out there you're already participating with? Yeah, I, we've been convincing people, I think, for a few years and, and so have a lot of other people in the market. But over the last year, it's very much been institutions are here. The biggest gaming companies in the world, every single one of them, if you're a head of innovation at one of these companies, you're fired if you don't have an NFT strategy. Um, so the, the entire world is, is like, this is the thing that will destroy everything and, and, and you know, remake it in the ashes, um, <laughs> destroying old finance and, and replacing it with decentralized finance. Um, destroying the way we store assets on servers and replacing it with NFTs. Like this is this is the thing. You would say as a, a 24-year-old, but, but a person completely engulfed in all this stuff, that the world in a period of time, if you're, you're a futurist, in a period of time is going to change as we know it, as we know in terms of banking, uh, let's call it banking to, for born of a word, it's going to completely change in nearly a flash. Well, I, I think it'll take a while as these things do. Um, but we're already seeing immensely substantial changes. Um, we're already seeing, you know, regular financial applications start to use DeFi in their backends. Um, we saw 
uh, Bitcoin get adopted as the first sovereign currency last month. Um, yeah, but for a country that's currency is wretched. Yeah, I agree. I agree. But all, all of these are milestones, right? Yeah, I um, guess so. I guess you're right because, like, it's a bit freaky, to be honest. Yeah. With you. Like, it, it it is it's a it's a head fuck. I mean, not like I'm getting brain damage. Like listening to you because no, yeah. no disrespect, but I'm getting brain damage trying to work my way through it. I mean, why is this stuff second nature to you, or, or literally are you out there, like you and your brother out there? I mean, no, I, I don't think we're that out there. Obviously, the technology is advanced, um, but you, like gamers understand this stuff and and they're interacting with it. Um, you know, the like millennials and, and and Zoomers are interacting with this stuff and and using it every day, and so I think. Um, and, and the truth is for it to go mainstream, it's not going to look like what it does currently. You're not going to sign up to some private key with MetaMask. It's It's going to be invisible to use, but you will know what you're interacting with. Like the value proposition of this isn't, you have to go into some machine, you have to generate a, you know, your, your, your private key and start using this stuff in an advanced manner. That's terrifying for most people. The value proposition of this stuff is it has such superior economics and such a superior business model that everything is going to be subsumed and consumed. It's like the internet, like banks won't be able to compete. Financial institutions won't be able to compete. Games won't be able to compete unless they offer players the value of NFTs where they can track provenance and sell the stuff they own. So that's the case for why crypto will take over the world. Not that it's cool to use if you're a really advanced 99.9 percentile technology user. Okay. So let's go to the break. We're going to come straight back. And I want to talk about Immutable and what this young man is doing. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. We're back from the break and we're here with Robbie Ferguson and um, his business is called Immutable. And now, You've just been listening to him explain what NFTs are, but probably more in an expansionary sense, like uh, what all the creatives that come off NFTs and all the opportunities that are sort of coming out of this new world. It's, it's a brand new world. And um, and he's talking about the inevitability, of course, of uh, crypto relative to all the other sorts of things that exist today. I mean, well, I'll talk a little bit more about that uh, after this, but how did it feel become immutable and what is Oh, that's that's interesting how I said that. How to feel become immutable, and what is immutable? What are you doing? Yeah, so immutable's mission statement is to make digital worlds real, and 
how we're doing that is we're making the digital infrastructure so that anyone can create and trade unique items uh, in a digital context. And we're making it as awesome as possible for people to build businesses on that and, and build liquid trading ecosystems on that as well. Uh, so we've specialized in NFTs. We were some of the first people to ever put NFTs on a blockchain. And now we create a solution where anyone can A, trade NFTs on the most liquid and, and open accessible ecosystem today, which is Ethereum. B, do so with zero gas fees, which is normally a killer, like literally $30 to $50 per transaction, which is crazy. Um, and C, we make it ridiculously easy for them to build their business, but most importantly, build a liquid market around these NFTs so they can make the most money, so their users can trade it for the best prices, uh, and so they can trade a, a thriving secondary market. It's like a marketplace, though. It's actually it's a marketplace protocol. It's a, it's a backend for marketplaces. Right. Um, so we, we, you know we don't care about being the place you you go to online in terms of a website. We're the protocol that powers marketplaces or games or applications for being able to create and trade these. So we're, we're like a global backend order book and the technology that sits behind that. So you need users. So how do you how do you yeah. attract users or do users just know about you and they come to you anyway? Yeah. So we're, we're B2B and we're B2C. So we uh, have business customers who build on Immutable as a protocol and you know every time one of them launches, their entire fan base becomes participants of Immutable X and often fans of Immutable X. So we're about to launch a, a customer called Akomi who has over half a million active users, um, a massive amount of fans, and a huge portion of those are, are now evangelists of Immutable X too. Um, so that kind of answers the question, which is how do you grow and get users? Uh, there's actually a really interesting way of growing in crypto, which is quite unique to other markets, which is all driven by A, community, and B, incentivized actions. And so every single participant on Immutable X, every single time you trade an asset on our protocol, even if it's inside this game, inside this marketplace, inside OpenSea or wherever we're going to be supporting an integration, you're earning effectively uh, the tokens in the underlying protocol, which you give you exposure to our success. So it's, it's kind of like every time you use eBay, you're getting shares in eBay. Um, so we think that's pretty cool. It's one of, I think, like the most powerful thing about crypto is obviously fundamental ownership in a way that is irrevocable and guaranteed scarce. But another very, very powerful value prop is incentive coordination. And that's all the company is. Uh, you know, when we first wrote the theory on why, why companies existed as bodies, and, you know, back in the early 1900s, it was like contracting is too complex and you need to incentivize people long term in order to solve complex problems. Now we can do that in an automated way that calculates exactly the amount of you know, price to pay someone for a particular action. And so you can create these incredible coordinated communities. The best example I can give of this is um, there's a very popular DeFi app, a DeFi darling, uh, decentralized finance called Uniswap. And what Uniswap does is it allows you to automatically trade between any two currency pairs that live on Ethereum. And it does so without any order book or market maker. It's what's called an automated market maker. So you put up your money to be able to provide liquidity. You earn a return on that. And based on the, the price of how people are trading, it'll automatically provide a price for people to trade against. It was very popular, huge amounts of users. And then this anonymous project came out called SushiSwap, which was an exact clone of Uniswap. 
And all they did was create an incentive so that if you were essentially a liquidity provider or a market maker on Uniswap, if you removed your funds from Uniswap and market made on uh, SushiSwap, which is obviously the key thing, hmm. more market makers, better price, better liquidity, you received massive incentives. Um, and it's in, in what is called kind of now a, a vampire attack. And they stole over half of Uniswap's liquidity overnight. And now SushiSwap is a thriving competitor today, you know, with a multi-billion dollar valuation. Um, and so this is kind of the, the, the cool thing about the industry is you can coordinate incentive attacks in such a way that you destroy network effects and moats that would be, uh, you know, unable to be capitalized on in, in the real world. Um, so it's, yeah, the, 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 the growth incentives are crazy. What is the risk for you then? Is there going to be a... A sushi mob come after you. I mean, and offer slightly better deal. Like, uh, you know, like, what are your risks? Yeah, there might be. In which case, um, so what? What Uniswap did is they, you know, hurriedly issued a token to their own users of Uniswap, as so that they were effectively incentivized yeah. by the growth of that protocol. And that's what we've done since day one. So every user of Immutable X, you know, has exposure to Immutable X tokens. Uh, we just did the most sold out coinless sale ever. Um, with the, the most amount of registrations um, that has ever happened for a, for a coinless sale, um, that's all in under an hour with you know twenty five thousand participants. Um, so yeah, this is like this is what you have to do is you have to give a very different type of value prop to your consumers. It's no longer just I'm going to use your product. It's they want to be owner users um, in kind of a cooperative, and that forms a much better relationship a between whoever's providing the service and the users. Um, but be way higher retention and way more loyalty. Are users becoming super smart, therefore making having bigger expectations of the providers? Let's say someone like you. You know what? What he says is a good point. So there are people, you know, who yield farm. They find applications who are rewarding users with the highest mm. yield, and they go and use them. But that's fine because often using them is the value. Like this is the cold start problem of any marketplace company, right? You have to do two sided uh, marketplace. How do you create network effects when there's no users to generate demand for suppliers and there's there's no suppliers for users to go and buy content off. Um, and the solution is you provide a non-linear incentive um, for the earliest users so that you kind of smooth out the growth curve rather than having it be incredibly logarithmically difficult for you to get to your first 100 or 1,000 users. You can make them extra incentivized and then suddenly it, you already have network effects to bootstrap the rest of the way. Yeah, very interesting. I think you need to explain the importance of Ethereum to you, to your back end? Yeah, very good question. In order to explain why we chose Ethereum, I'll, I'll use the example of the fundamental value proposition of blockchain is the ability to own digital stuff. And the example I'll give, I've got this kombucha cup here. So I'm in the real world and I hand this to you, Mark, and I say, Look, I now have this kombucha cup and, and I give it to you, you now have this kombucha cup. You know that I don't have the cup because of physics. You know that these atoms move from me to you and that there's no way that I just have another copy of it because this thing exists as a single provable object. If I transfer you $5 um, over a bank, you see a $5 credit appear in your account, but you have no idea. Has my account been debited by it? Uh, that is stored in a centralized database. There's nothing to guarantee that at the layer of physics. And so what crypto is, and it's fundamental thing, whether you're transferring a Bitcoin or an NFT, is that ability to kind of actually transfer the nature and custody of an object and you can prove that no one else owns it, which is the revolution. And the problem is what that is as vulnerable as the type of blockchain you're using. 
if you're losing a crappy blockchain, it's like you're using a crappy universe simulator or a crappy version of physics that someone could just hack. They can just change the rules on you, create two versions of this cup. They could do a double spend attack. And so the most important thing is the fundamental security of the logic of the blockchain and the state of the blockchain. And that's something we never wanted to compromise on. But the problem is the user experience sucks and it's incredibly expensive. And the reason it's expensive is not because it's bad technology. It's because the maximum level of decentralization occurs with essentially a, an expensive consensus mechanism because it means it's really expensive to attack. Um, and so we had to design a solution which allowed people to use Ethereum, which is the most secure solution, while also having an incredible user experience of building their business. Um, but the second reason is that the only thing that matters when choosing a platform or a network is will this network be the one where everyone lives? Because you want to be somewhere where all the users live, where their money lives, where their network activities live, because that's where liquidity for NFTs is going to be. And Ethereum has run away with the race. Anyone competing with Ethereum, it's like, you know, the open internet versus Microsoft services network. No one is, is likely going to be able to win. Um, and so that's why we built our business on top of Ethereum versus some of the centralized alternatives that we see today, whether they're side chains or whether they're uh, other layer ones. How does the interaction between um, your protocols and and your market, let's call it your marketplace, for want a better word, and Ethereum, like, do you have to pay for that or do, is there a, a, a percentage or a clip or how's it work? Yeah. So the cost of our business is we are uploading proofs of the transactions that are occurring in the form of zero knowledge proof. And that's quite expensive to us. So we pay, you know, it will be tens of millions of dollars a year when we're scaling in those proof costs back to Ethereum. And that's a fixed cost for us. So it's expensive, but we can run it sort of essentially fix the amount of transactions that we perform. And then we charge users no fee to perform those transactions. We just take a clip. Like not not for sure, but you can have an infinite number of transactions which you take a clip out of, but you go on yeah. fixed cost. Yeah. So scale's important. Exactly. Scale's important. So I mean, right now, part of the reason we raise these funds is to build a global go-to-market team. So business development, um, you know, incredible integrations and success team. So we can take, say, any games company in the world, and say, well, do you want to move your economy onto NFTs? Do you want to conduct a sale on NFTs? Um, we can do everything for you from like economic design to helping support your infrastructure. Um, so that's really a massive effort. Uh, and then there's also kind of organic growth. So how do you get users to be evangelists of this protocol? How do you get them going out to games and saying, you have to use Immutable X? And so it's kind of this B2B route, which is the traditional route, as well as this heavily community incentivized growth uh, route as well yeah so i mean reputation is like uh, pretty important here um and you sound like you set out all the the structure and foundations i mean i'm convinced anyway i mean i can't i can't make a judgment but i'm convinced from what you're saying in terms of the foundations of the business and the back end but what you're going to do now is some really traditional sort of uh um b to b type stuff where you could actually have let's call it salespeople, you know, traditional sort of one-on-one -on -one discussions. This is why you, Mr. Gaming Company, should be using our back end. Exactly. Yeah, reputation is incredibly important. You want to create a positive flywheel. Uh, and at the end of the day, it's, it's, you know, all the classic parts of a B2B SaaS company as well. You have to create an incredible customer experience. You have to support your partner every step of the way. You have to make sure they're as successful as possible. Uh, you have to help them with their business and, and their understanding of, like, this is a brave new world. Every company under the sun is looking at how can they create a strategy defensively for crypto or proactively to make 
uh, a huge beachhead success right now. And everyone wants to know how existing success has done it. And this is where our internal content becomes really helpful as well. So we have two of Ethereum's five chip games, Gods Unchained and Guild of Guardians. And they're internal prototypes, which not only make money, but they are, and, and, and are growing, but also like they serve as case studies to our customers around, hey, this is exactly how we did X and Y. Um, but yeah, they're both incredibly exciting as well. And you just raised some money. You've just raised quite a bit of money. Yeah, 83 mil. The round fell together quite quickly, actually, after we, we got the leads. Um, so a local King River Capital uh, and then one of the world's largest gaming firms, uh, Bitcraft, um, led the round. And then, you know, other, other people piled in. So um, we had some locals. So Airtree came into the first time this round. Reinventure, who's been along with us um, from the early days. So they've been really awesome. Um, and then there's Process, who's yeah. one of the world's largest VCs. Then a third of Tencent, Galaxy Interactive, FTX, Alameda. So there was a, um, a ton of awesome people. And then so, and when you raise that, that amount of money, let's call it 100, and uh, and it's a hundred large. So um, you know we're talking about serious money here. You're 24 years of age. You've raised a hundred million dollars. Um, that's a, that's a massive leap of faith. That that's that's just an unbelievable outcome for you. Pretty big. That's that's a big deal. Yeah. Look, I, I hope it's not a leap of faith. Um, yeah. Look, Venture's been on a, a, a massive tear over the last year. The market's incredibly hot, and then you have one of the hottest hottest sectors ever as well, crypto. Um, so it's certainly a good market to raise in. But yeah, it, it feels great. I mean, they've invested in us to spend this money to gain global market share. That's what we're we're here to do. Um, and to be honest, it's it's likely we you know we'll raise in, in another three or four months as well. And at, at no stage has it been difficult for you to raise money uh, by by the look of things or by the sound of things. No, that, that's not true. No, no, it's been hard at times. So the first, it's been hard once, um, and that was when we were raising our seed round completely unproven, and from Aussies, um, and that was incredibly hard. We were, uh, well, I won't say incredibly hard. We, were, we tried to raise for two months. We then flew to the US and the round closed in three days. Um, so it's very different markets um, wow. between the US and Australia. Yeah. Uh, is that because the US investors understand what you're doing or they're just bigger taking a punt? US investors are much less price sensitive. Uh, they are bigger firms. And I think they're also right now much more literate in crypto. Although Airtree and Reinventure are probably some of the two most crypto literate VC firms as well, and they're and they're both Aussie. So that that's been cool. And do they take a position on your board, or I mean, what sort of um, interaction do they have? Uh, so yeah, we we got a new board member in in this round. Yeah, from one of the leads. Yeah. So yeah, Jens from Bitcraft, who co-founded ESL. Where do you want to take this? I mean, like you're 24. Let's say you're looking at yourself at 34. Give me a vision. Tell me what you're thinking. Yeah. What we want to do with Immutable is we want to be the global backend and provider of digital assets for anything. Um, we want to make people be able to actualize and live their digital identities, whether it's a video game, whether it's a financial market they now have more control over, whether it's term deposits, uh, whether it's art, and be able to do that on the most decentralized ecosystem. You know, this metaverse is being built, and I don't really want it to be built out by. And, and owned by Facebook servers, right? I think that'd be not the best outcome for the world if this is how we're going to own stuff for the next century or two. Um, and, you know, we'd, we'd love to do, a, I think a, a, the goal is, you know, take this to an IPO over the next five, 10 years as well. And every race is a horse called self-interest and I'm about to whip mine really hard. Um, I have a business with a very large, one of the world's largest 
debt hedge funds. Where we own 50% each. And uh, what we do is um, um, we own mortgage assets. So we lend money, but we own the asset. I said to you, we've got $50 billion worth of, $58 billion worth of mortgage assets right now, right here in Australia. Um, what would you be thinking? What's your brain ticking over as to what your opportunity might be in relation to something like that for someone like me? So I think you need to look at why do you want to make something unique and tradable? And if you can find a use case for that, that's really strong. Then NFTs are the way to go. Um, and so the reason I, you know, I think term deposits are an excellent example is there's they're unique objects by definition. You have a yield rate, you have a, a term duration, you have an underlying asset and collateral. Um, and there's also no liquidity on them, which is crazy. Like these things are just, you know, being stored in a bank earning interest. Um, and you, you should be able to, to, to trade them at a discount um, in order to, to get liquidity on, on these things. Um, so I think that's one of the, the, the cool scenarios. And so I'd like, I, I think it would just be looking at that vertical from that analysis and saying, should this market become tradable? Because everything is going to be tradable. And when things become tradable, you create far more financial opportunity than in the primitives themselves. Because typically the size of a secondary or derivative market is an order of magnitude higher than the, the primary secondary sales themselves. Uh, yeah. And so the question is, well, once that starts to happen, what, what, what sort of you know, secondary financial mechanisms can you have? You know, I think the cool thing about this is I can, there are probably going to be Goldman Sachs trading desks in a decade, which are trading indexes on Fortnite skins or genres on, on video games um, or types of digital art. and all of those secondary financial you know, indices or derivatives or um, long options or short options are all going to make, be made instantaneously available by NFTs. Uh, and so that's super, super cool. And, and like, it's going to, this, this financialization is going to happen way faster than it did in, in the centralized example. Uh, I'm, I'm really curious. When someone like reinvention, which is owned by Westpac or, or, or mostly controlled by Westpac and any event or, or certainly yeah. established by Westpac, when they invest in someone like you, um, are they investing in you because um, when you talk to them, do you talk to them about things like um, term deposits or uh, derivatives around mortgage assets or and, and how NFTs can be applied to those and one day maybe end up on your platform? I mean, is that a discussion you have with them? They want to know the long-term vision, which is part of what that encompasses. But the key thing they need to know is what is the market now? Why are you guys going to win? How do you see the future unfolding? And so we have a very, very tangible or actually completely intangible, but a very, very real target market in front of us to take. Um, there's real revenue being made. So I think that's kind of what we're going to be doing over the next year or two. But then the question is, well, that's not enough. How do you take this technology everywhere to power everything? Because that's where we're going next. I get the power everything. I mean, I, I like, I actually love the, the, the whole thought of it, the whole process that you're going through, like intellectual process you're going through. And uh, and I can imagine someone like reInventure would be thinking, you know, 10 years out or five years out, they're not thinking about it. They are thinking about it now that they make their investment now but and they price it on the on the now, but they're also, they're, they're, they're futurists. I mean, that's what you are. You're sort of like a futurist to me. I think you have to be to be an entrepreneur. Yeah, well, you definitely, well, particularly in what you're doing, you're doing real new stuff. I um, mean, the only other thing I can think of that's, that is as exciting as this um, is 
the, the exploration of the brain and the things that the brain can do. Yours is synthetic, but it's real. It's, it's synthetically yeah. real or really synthetic, yeah. whichever way you want to put it. Yeah. But if I could flip it around, um, what's going on in our brain, how our brain works and the, the capacity of our brain and all the sort of things that our brains can do, that to me, that's a, a next horizon. So the two things that interest me in futuristic sense is what you're doing, particularly when you apply to financial markets, like typical a, a traditional financial markets. You just said someone's going to be sitting on Goldman Sachs' desk and they're going to be trading in, you know, the, the sorts of asset classes through NFTs that you're just talking about. You're exploring weird synthetic forms of real assets. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's digital ownership. It's uh, how people interact with, um, the, you know, the, the digital stuff they own, the intangibles. Um, and I'll, I, I think there's a good quote for what you just kind of said, which like the crypto, the hardcore crypto audience is nuts about life extension and the brain and the kind of advancements going on there. Um, and I think there's going to be a powerful intersection of all this stuff as well, because one of the things that crypto can do is they can solve um, these, these uh, what are they called? Collective action problems, because you can incentivize people to kind of coordinate efforts toward a common goal. We're even seeing this right now with uh, what they're doing with these, um, like the, the the regulatory funding to fight some of the um, regulation that's going on in the US at the moment. And there's this guy called Balaji. I, I highly recommend you, you check him out. He's um, the former CTO of Coinbase. And his quote is, immutable money, infinite frontiers, and eternal life. And that's what a lot of these people think about every day. And I, I the three things I'm most interested in are crypto and incentives. Uh, CRISPR and, and genetic engineering and life extension um, because I think that they're some of the three most powerful things that are going to change the trajectory of humanity. The genetic engineering is like uh, scary but cool. My mother died of motor neuron disease. So I, when she did a couple of years ago, I became extraordinarily uh, f- fanaticized about how the brain works and uh, and I do a lot of reading on this stuff. I'm, I'm always reading about this stuff. It's uh, I wish I had started this when I was 24 because like, there's just so much to learn. But it's this has been an amazing conversation. I really appreciate your time. Um, also, by the way, indulging me and and your patience in the indulgence. I love people who explore new frontiers and are brave enough to go down those frontiers. One of the things I just want to quickly finish off with is this: we've been through lockdown, and um, I was thinking about this a lot today. Um, and a lot of people lost their jobs or don't go to work anymore, or um, the way we earn money is going to change. And, and a lot of people who are, you know, traditional people in terms of the way they think about how they're going to earn the money, they think they're going to go to work, they're going to get paid per hour, they're going to get the check at the end of the week, they're going to get the super into the super and they're going to pay the tax and they're going to go to the next week, they're just going to do yeah. it, they're going to build a house and blah, blah, blah. But what you are doing and what people who, the communities you're talking about, the users, there's a lot of people that they're thinking about or actually not thinking about it, making money different ways in different ways. And if COVID has ever taught us one thing, um, we've got to talk. We've got to start thinking about different ways of making money, or or making a living, or providing for those physical things we need to eat and enjoy. What do you think about that? Because you, your your whole world is is about that. Yeah, I mean, we have this whole idea of people playing games to live. That's their living. There are tens of thousands of people in the Philippines, in particular, who play crypto games in order to earn income from them as their primary source of income. In Guild of Guardians, one of our games, we have sponsors or investors who buy valuable assets in the game that they can give to promising players 
to see if they can earn a yield on it. It's almost like them backing it and, and getting a return on their investment. So we're seeing the financialization of this in, entire digital industry where people can finally turn what are effectively like incredible value creation and jobs in, in, into things they can actually earn income from. Um, so I, I, I think that's number one. And then second of all, my opinion is long-term humans shouldn't and won't need to earn income. It's not sustainable. Um, humans are going to be intellectually irrelevant in anywhere between you know 30 to 100 years by AI. We're not going to be useful in the labor force. Um, and so we, we better sort something out before then around how we can actually you know, provide an income to everyone. Um, so I, I think it'll be a very interesting period as, as we go through that transition. Sorry to extend this talk, discussion, but it's a little bit out, outside of immutable. But are you talking about governments paying us a, a stay-at-home wage, so to speak? Yeah, we have to live. Um, and I think this notion that humans have to work to earn an income will become irrelevant because people, like humans won't be economically relevant um, for the vast, vast majority of things, apart from like things which have some sort of interpersonal value, um, which will become a, a massive industry. Uh, but that will be very interesting to see unfold, yeah. If what you say is correct, there will be a lot of people who won't have a way of surviving unless they're sponsored by state or, or, or some format. What do you think about that? I think we have to figure out how we are going to solve it and, and sponsor those people. Um, so, I mean, it's an alignment problem and a philosophy problem and an economics problem. Um, it's also a massive collective action problem because who wants to give this stuff up? But at the end of the day, the production is still going to be there. The food is still going to be produced more efficiently than ever. The homes are still going to be manufactured. Uh, the entertainment is going to be... <laughs> times a thousand. So people won't be in short supply of that. It's just how do we distribute it? Um, and how then do we give people meaning? I'm a long-term believer in if we can ensure the alignment of humans' technology advancement in the right ways, we'll eventually end up, and I, I think it'll be a polarized outcome, unfortunately, where we either end up in a pretty hellish apocalypse or a utopia. But there's really no need for humans to compete over resources in the long term. It's absurd. The fact that we are going around and, and competing over how much money people earn, it's, it's efficient right now. It's effective at producing innovation. Um, but in the long term, like energy is practically infinite in the universe. Um, we, we should be able to be able to provide for everyone's needs uh, in a way which doesn't impact the scarcity of anyone else. Well, the real scary part about all this is talk about AI pretty much taking over all the functions. Once they get quantum computing up and running, like let's say in the next 15, 20 years, and then they yeah. then they apply that to um, AI and machine learning generally, um, God help us because uh, none of us will be needed to be, do, be doing anything. We just, there'll be a, a switch flicked and, uh, you know, I don't know, it's going to be a whole, I probably won't be around, but it's going to be a whole scary world for my grandson who's four. <laughs> it's going to be a scary world. And uh, I guess what's got to happen is people got to start to listen to these sorts of podcasts and got to listen to people like you and start participating so how would somebody just dip their toe into what you're doing dip their toe into the communities that are using your back end you know that you're using how would someone just dip their toe and just to get a taste of it just to play with it yeah i bet best thing is come check out our twitter at immutable or go to the discord of immutable and say hi we're very friendly someone will say hi to you and just kind of um talk you through what you can do whether it's one of partner communities, whether it's just something you, you play with an NFT. Um, there was just an app launched on Immutable X that allows you to mint any image as an NFT 
uh, complete these are free. So that, that's pretty cool. It's called Swift Mint. Um, we've had you know tens of thousands of NFTs minted over the past few days. Uh, so I mean, yeah, that that would be my recommendation. Um, and also to go down just the crypto rabbit hole. So install MetaMask, get some Ethereum, try using some of these applications. One of my favorite newsletters in the space is Bankless. Um, you know, for, for the unbanked and they have these in, incredible emails that just go through like everything happening in the industry. Um, and you, you might like Mark, actually, I'm, I'm sure, you know, Raul Pal, um, who's much more in kind of the, the traditional finance yeah. side of things, um, but is a massive believer in Bitcoin and Ethereum. Um, and I really like his perspective on like macro trends and, and, why this stuff is inevitable from a, a really macro cryptocurrency perspective as well. Well, I'm, I'm one of those people who will go down the rabbit hole. So I'm looking forward to it. Really good to talk to you. Thanks very much. I really appreciate your time. Uh, there was a lot in that, like, and well done. Congratulations. Like I'm total admiration for a 24-year-old. Not only have you raised that amount of money, but knowing what you're knowing and having the balls to do what you're doing. Good man. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for listening to The Mentor. Audio and production is by Jess Morley. And production assistance, Jonathan Leondis. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.